Welcome to the weekly worship podcast from the Presbyterian Church in Morristown, where we pause our busy lives to dig deeper into our faith. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe, or if you have someone in your life that may be inspired by this message, please share it with them. Let's listen to how God might speak to us today, and remember to be the good in your community, a community that matters. We are talking about Ecclesiastes, though, and we're continuing where we kind of left off last week. Friends, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I said to myself, come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But again, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Grant, O God, that only the truth be spoken and only the truth heard. Amen. Fun fact. The first ever recorded abolitionist Christian sermon, at least that biblical scholars know of, was from Basil of Caesarea, a bishop in Turkey in the 4th century, using this text from Ecclesiastes 2.7 to say, it is vanity to own slaves. It was an Easter sermon, actually, and Basil said that he wouldn't give communion to people who practiced slavery, which was a sentiment that obviously didn't catch on in the ancient world or in ours, but nonetheless, slavery, like everything else in this life, is a vanity. There's that word again, that word that Audrey so perfectly described last week. Hevel in Hebrew. Vanity of vanities. It's like breath. Here today, gone tomorrow. That's what Kohelet, the author of Ecclesiastes, the teacher as he's known, concludes. All was vanity and a chasing after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. 
It was a sunny day in New York City when I realized that my sky was being stolen. There's an article about super talls in the most recent issue of The Atlantic. The article's author says that it was a sunny day when she first realized that outside her window, a crane was going up, a crane that soon supported the construction of a new building, a a super tall that was taking away the only sliver of sky that she could see from her apartment window. Super talls are skyscrapers that are usually defined as buildings more than 300 meters in height. She writes, first, super talls were impossible, then a rarity. Now they're all over the place. In 2019, developers added more super talls than had existed prior to the year 2000, including the building now blocking her sky, Manhattan's 84-story Steinway Tower. I think many of us living here in northern New Jersey have probably seen it. The author goes on, some super talls have an even more future designation, futuristic designation, super slim. These buildings are alternately described as needle towers or toothpick skyscrapers and have lately become synonymous with New York City. Four super tall, super slims loom over the southern end of Central Park in a stretch of midtown dubbed Billionaire's Row. Building engineers, she writes, like judgy modeling agents, have varying definitions of super slim, but they usually agree that such buildings must have a height-to-width ratio of at least 10 to 1. To put that into perspective, the Empire State Building, one of the world's first super talls, is about three times taller than it is wide. Steinway Tower is 24 times taller than it is wide, nearly as slim in dimension as a number two pencil. It's the skinniest skyscraper in the world. I said to myself, come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And what does he do? I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had gone before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines." So the teacher did all of these things, produced all of these things, attained and acquired all of these things, and still it was all vanity. I mean, the test worked in the sense that it didn't fail. Verse 9, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. But in the end, verse 11, it was all vanity and a chasing after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That word there, gained, yitron in Hebrew, it's an economic word. What do people gain? It means profit. What profit do people have? Almost like you're trying to account for something on a ledger. One biblical scholar says it's almost like you're trying to zero out the question of whether or not the universe has anything positive to it or life. I didn't gain anything from this test of pleasure. 
archaeologists, archaeologists have called the Tower of Jericho. Completed about 10,000 years ago, the super skyscraper of its day, it reached a grand total of 28 feet. Around 2600 BC, the Great Pyramid of Giza broke records when it hit 480 feet, less than half the height of the Eiffel Tower. It took humans nearly 4,000 years to go higher. If life in the clouds sounds tempting, we read in the Atlantic, allow me to direct your attention to the price tag. When 432 Park Avenue first went on the market in 2012, it offered a basement storage closet smaller than a parking spot for $198,000. Its top floor penthouse was for a time at $169 million, the most expensive listing in Manhattan. Who pays to live in the sky? It's not that easy to find out, we read. According to public records, lots of units in Midtown's residential supertalls were purchased by anonymous limited liability companies, some with names that sound like AOL screen names, Ash Monster, Cupcake Lily, Big Apple View, Euclidean Taco Dance, Distance. One perk of buying via LLC is the privacy, though some digging reveals buyers who are connected to sports, tech, finance, and real estate. I am sure you are not surprised. What does it mean that we, too, essentially live in the shadows of these super tall, super slims? I can imagine that some part of us feels largely disconnected from the rock stars and sports heroes who inhabit them. I'm not sure if any of us will ever dwell in a place called Billionaire's Row. I'm also not sure if any of us will ever find ourselves in an experiment quite like Kohelet describes, making a test of pleasure, building houses, planting vineyards and gardens and parks, doing great works, which I should say was likely not only for personal enjoyment, but also for public adoration. He was making a name for himself. A couple hundred years before Kohelet wrote Ecclesiastes, there was an Assyrian king who built his palace in Nineveh in the region that was known then as Babylon. This king named Sennacherib called his new palace and its garden a wonder for all peoples. To keep the garden as a year-round oasis through the dusty summer months, the king built canals and irrigation systems, a remarkable feat of engineering that stretched over 30 miles into the mountains. On a stone inscription, the king writes, Sennacherib, king of the world, king of Assyria, over a great distance I had a water course directed to the environs of Nineveh joining together the waters. Over steep-sided valleys, I spanned an aqueduct of white limestone blocks. I made those waters flow over it. The waters fed into a system that irrigated the palace gardens with an ascending series of tiers containing a variety of trees, shrubs, and vines resembling a large green mountain constructed of mud bricks. Fruit tree orchards were planted, as well as pines and cypresses and junipers, almonds and date trees, ebony, rosewood, olive, oak, walnut, ash, fir, pomegranate, pear, fig, and grapes. It was called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. 
one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it is exactly the kind of thing that Kohelet describes. I built myself houses and planted vineyards for myself. I, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been seen before me in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh, many concubines. He may as well have been describing the kings like Sennacherib, who went before him. But all of it, all of it, he says, is vanity, a chasing after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Several years ago, Nobel Prize winning economist Daniel Kahneman shared the results of a study which concluded that emotional well-being basically peaks when you reach an annual income of $75,000. After that, your happiness pretty much plateaus even if your income continues to rise. Well, Kahneman is now taking all that back. Just this last week, he and another researcher, Matthew Killingsworth, shared the results of a new study that suggests, in the simplest terms, that for, the, for most people, larger incomes are indeed associated with greater happiness. Although for what it's worth, Kahneman and Killingsworth said that they lacked substantial data from those earning over $500,000. I guess, you know, those who live on billionaire's row. I wonder what Kohelet would say about that. After all, he is not writing to the upper, upper middle class, but to the sorts of people who dream up living in places like hanging gardens, or maybe in our day, super tall, super slims. But also, I, I have this funny feeling about our text as if we are supposed to read Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and conclude that all of it, all the stuff, the gardens, the pleasures, the silver and the gold, the penthouse apartments in buildings over 300 meters tall, it's all vanity. It's all chasing after the wind, which makes it no substitute for God. No replacement for the fullness and the happiness that only God can provide. And on the one hand, I think that's probably mostly true. And on the other hand, I don't, I don't actually think that that's what Kohelet is really saying. He says, I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. There's happiness to be gained from our toil. There is enjoyment in the goodness of life and food and drinking and building things and accomplishment. I mean, literally, look around us. If we don't enjoy the beauty of this space, if we can't be happy in our worship here, there is something wrong with us. We should find joy in it. We should take pleasure in it. What is vanity? What is chasing after the wind is the idea that somehow we might accumulate and acquire enough stuff or pleasure or even wisdom that we could match the goodness or the richness of God, our creator. What is it that he says is the point of this little test of pleasure? 
Kohelet says that I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I think that there's this tendency to view the comparison as between God and the stuff. The stuff is vanity. God is eternal. And maybe that's true. Maybe in part. But I wonder if also if, or maybe instead, if the right comparison is between God and us, lest any of us somehow think that we might actually compare. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had spent doing it. And again, it was vanity was chasing after the wind. There's nothing to be gained under the sun. There is no profit that I can gain, no reward for my toil that will ever put me in remotely the same category as God. Everything we have under heaven is still just that. It's under heaven. It's vanity. It's what is good for mortals to do during the few days of their life. But only God is in complete control. Only God is immortal. And so during these few days of our life, even during these few days of our Lenten journey, do we, do we have to renounce pleasure? Or pretend that money doesn't matter? Should we come to our own conclusion that in the economy of happiness, we're better off being rich? Although, I don't know, there's something kind of vain about a Nobel Prize-winning Harvard professor of economics saying happiness peaks at $75,000, then 10 years later saying, no, 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 more money really can buy more happiness. But maybe that's the wrong question anyway. Maybe the better question is, if I am not God... If I am not immortal, if there really is no substitute under heaven for that which is eternal, then what will I do to ensure that all are happy, that all can have enough, that all can find pleasure in their toil and dignity in their works? What can amount to more than chasing after the wind and truly bring profit to my life? Look around, friends, because it's there. In fact, I might even say that it's right here. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening with us today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe. Or if you have someone in your life that may be inspired by this message, please share it with them. Visit us at www.pcmorristown.org or find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook to stay connected with our church. But most of all, remember to be the good in your community, a community that matters.